Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Helen Keller. Wow, there's one that's a challenge and a challenge for just now. This is Jim McNeish here and I am with the lovely Christy Mack. And we're here to talk about fear today, the inability to enter into that dangerous, outright exposure and adventure of living. And that mm. would have us withdraw. And make us crazy. <laughs> we're experiencing a whole host of craziness right now. It's just, I mean, is there any experience for yourself of fear just now? Can we dredge something from, from the well? We could dredge from the well or I could just skim a neat surface off the top of my vast vat of terror that I've been experiencing. So I think we'll, we'll start with that. I think... Um, it's just the whole thing, Kirsty, just watching my diary empty mm-hmm. and just got overwhelmed by the fact that we're non-essential now. Don't say it, don't say it <laughs> I, just, I heard it this morning and I'm still getting the knife out of my heart. Like, just, like, oh. we're, we're non-essential. People are focused on a wee bit further down uh, Maslow's hierarchy and... Um, so watching that happening and, and having to then disband the team and, and do all that stuff. Um, and I think at an ego level, though, if I can be um, confessional for a minute, there was just something about my idealized ego image being challenged. I, I was the guy that was always in demand. I was the guy that would squeeze clients in. Mm. I was that guy. And um, all of a sudden, I'm tendering for work. And I am... Um, approaching clients to say do you need help just so that my business can survive over this period but I guess um and so so that the, the fear being is this me kind of like on the wind down of my career is this what happens mm-hmm. and um just the beautiful realization two or three days ago talking to other clients is that clients have always wanted this from me They've always wanted a bit more professional engagement, a bit more tendering, a bit more what I could do. Um, me relying on being known and having relationship was actually a bit of a, a racket. It was a kind of shortcut for me to get into businesses easier and, um, and not have to put the effort in and actually just rely on those things. Whereas now there's a professional discipline involved that actually is causing my diary to fill back up again. And I'm finding that really interesting. Mm. Well, we could just end the podcast there. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is like, it is that those words, non essential, have been uttered to me too many times. And my personality type does not do well with the words non essential. I'm dealing with it. Uh, and just, you know, I look at, I look at my diary and it's empty. And I see people's birthdays and that brings me fear as well about how do we celebrate those with people and not be with them. And, you know, last year through choice, I emptied my diary and it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. It was an awesome time. And now this is not through choice. And that 
is something I'm not in control of it. And yeah. that is just, and it, it also noticing what it's doing, what I'm realizing in my body. So Monday after the announcement of, you know, UK being in the words that we're not saying lockdown, um, I didn't sleep that night at all. Like Monday into Tuesday was games are bogey, as we would say. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> I was just, and I, I couldn't tell you, there wasn't, I didn't feel consciously, I didn't feel viscerally that there was something that maybe I was scared of or thinking about, or there was emails going through my mind, very simplistic, basic emails, but my body was clearly not allowing me to get the sleep in. You know, there was something processing, there was something there. Um, and, and that's been really interesting. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's been interesting. And, and I think so. there's something um, that psychotherapists will talk about called the unnamed dread, mm -hmm. which can be worse than the danger on the horizon. You know, the unnamed dread is that we know something dangerous or threatening um, is around us, but because we can't put a word to it or a name to it, our body can't close off on it. It yeah. can't start forming a strategy about it. It can't take action. And so this unnamed dread, which is what fresh hell's coming over the horizon next. Wow. Um, and, and it's that bit that keeps you awake at night. It's like, what does this now mean? And that's what I was thinking. It's like, what does this now mean? Yeah. And it takes us back to that idea, you know, that we'll talk about next, which is this desire to make meaning. Yeah. Um, we want yeah. to, we want to make meaning so we can close off. And it's that you know fear from as, as a definition perspective being the anticipation of future suffering, yes. and you know we're in the future suffering and also not exactly as you say not knowing what that is for ourselves, for our family, for our businesses, for our country, for the global. <laughs> we don't know like it. it so it, you know there's too many tabs open. Yes, that's right. Yeah. There's way too many tabs open in the system. And we're anticipating the suffering. We're yeah. thinking, what is the suffering? And we can't put our finger on it. Um, and our, our brains aren't really that well designed to handle that. I mean, the fear response in us is quite primitive. It's the amygdala. It's a mm -hmm. very primitive part of the brain, which is designed to propel you off a road if a truck's coming towards you at high speed. <laughs> Cortisol, adrenaline flooding through the system. Um, the hippocampus gets shut down, which is our access to some of the higher rationalizing parts of the brain. And then those higher rationalizing parts only get used. They're at the mercy of the amygdala, dreaming up horror stories of the road or the walking dead or what else is going to happen next. And, and then you get people queuing up for guns for miles um, at their stores and people tucking things away as if that's the last they're ever going to be able to buy it. And it's basically the amygdala, that primitive part of the yeah. brain, basically the tail wagging the dog. It's got our imagination going crazy for those things. It's running the system for all of us. It's like all of a sudden a big switch came down on the world yeah. and went, seven billion amygdalas. <laughs> there you go. And we thought, oh, let's get toilet roll. Um, it's just, yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is it, it's not that part of our brain isn't wrong, as you say, we need it, you know, we're not going to sort of assess the bus and go, oh, it's one of those electric ones, it's going fire, right? I don't want that part of my brain working, I'm just like, move. Get off the road. Yeah, but it's, the thing is, is that when we are operating from that place, and that is what is running our system, it's really hard to make decisions, it's hard to take action, it, it just really narrows the focus of the brain, you know, it's, 
one or two stories. We're just, we're just trying to get away from the horror story, but also curiously interested in what's next. Because, you know, we're, we're on the social media, we're on, we're checking, we're at the news. I, don't, I never watch the news. I think there's enough around us, but I'm like a news junkie right now. And it's like, so I'm, 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 I want to get away from it, but I want, I'm curiously drawn towards it. Yes. Yeah, that's because like, I'm hoping that it gives me something. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm like that with a snake. If a snake appears on television, I'm both repulsed and hypnotized by it at the same time. And it's, it is, it's a bit like, you know, driving past a car crash, you know, you know, you yes. should, you know, but it's kind of drawn in. And there is something in us that requires us to kind of take it down. Um, so what do you think the leadership application is here then, Kirsty? You know, like if we're, we're talking about, these very natural, sometimes quite archaic um, and um, instinctive things in mm. us to fear. How should we respond as leaders? <laughs> it's kind of going against everything that I felt that I've just said. And how about we engage with it? <laughs> cool. You know, how can we reason with it? Yeah. Can we, you know, because I, there were, I think there's a lot of us shoving it down at two in the morning, but actually, can we, can we be with that fear? Can we engage with it? Can we, that engagement allows us to see it as a signal rather than trauma, and then that trauma, so we are able to close some tabs and, and to notice what it's given us. You know, is it that, also I'm very aware of my dissociation, Am I, I'm really busy just now. I, I've been on so many Zoom calls and FaceTimes and everything and, um, and I'm paying attention. I think we need to pay attention to, are we dissociating yes. by being busy? Yes, we are. And because that's when it comes on you in a wave. You know, you're walking through the corridor and all of a sudden you think, oh, pandemic. <laughs> you know, it's like up until that point, you were going for a glass of water. You know, and then all of a sudden, woof, and I think it's because there's a strong desire to shove it down. Mm. Um, I think Dan Siegel's work's important here. Dan yeah. Siegel's this uh, trauma therapist, and he talks about a window of tolerance. And he says, you know, we can go into, just as you say, um, hypoarousal. Hypoarousal is, is dissociation. I want nothing to do with it. We can also go into hyperarousal, where we're running around as if our hair's actually on fire in the moment, you know, just this wild, mad panic. And, um, and then we're experiencing something called an abreaction, a kind of a, an overwhelm of everything going on, and everybody fears that. And he said, can you work at allowing your emotions to come in politely, um, with a legitimate seat at the table, in optimum arousal? where you know you can break out of it if you have to, you can go and put yourself into a positive place and you can, you know, do a, a bundle with the children on the settee again or have fun. But can you be in that optimal arousal place where you're listening to your fear exactly as you say, no longer as a trauma, but as a signal, mm -hmm. as a message to us about, hey, watch for this, beware of that. And I think when we do that, it calms down. Yeah. I think when we can do that, it no longer has to wake us up at two in the morning to be heard. Yeah. And there's an element of acceptance there as well and a whole host of courage, you know, for leaders just now to have that courage. Is, and it's not, courage is not the absence of fear because that's brain damage. Um, it's about listening to it and, 
and starting to develop those coping mechanisms and training ourselves for it to be appropriate. Yes. Appropriate to the circumstance. Uh-huh. And I yeah. think that's what we can do right now in this moment. Yeah, and it's like bringing all the parts of our brains in, it's all of it, like our logic, our storytelling, our various other things. And I think, I think that points us towards, I mean, part of the interest in us doing these podcasts is what will leadership look like next? What's going to be really important? And I think this idea of carrying some of these things no longer on our own, the more intelligent we become about fear, having a legitimate seat at the table, means we don't always have to be the one doing it. What if we really are joined up in the future much better with each other? And there's whole groups of people trying to share some kind of consciousness so that we can actually create almost functions within the consciousness, including vigilance, including that fear response so that it's our trust that allows us to stand down because somebody else is keeping an eye on things. And it's vigilance with empathy. Yeah. Rather than judgment. (laughs) I know, I know I can go to the judgment phase. And I think that there are some people that are kind of wrapped up in that as part of their character default as well. But actually it's those people that, if they have, you know, that their character type is that avoidance of danger, is that vigilance, is that hyper awareness, yes. and perhaps they get a more welcome seat at the table. That's right. Yeah, they yeah, bring, they, they bring them in. Unnamed red in. Okay, bring yes. it in. Examine yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And I, and I think my hope, and I don't want to get political here, but okay. I think my hope is that given what we've been through and what we're going through that we would then become more attentive to our environment, to wealth disparity, um, to the competition that goes on between nations. Like we're on this little spaceship, this finite spaceship with finite energy. Um, and, um, and we're using it up pretty quickly. And, and so something has to be shared in a global way of thinking. And I think it's those leaders who learn how to step outside of their own self-interest into understanding that the interest of them and their families is far better served in the relationships that they're forming with other people than it is in some kind of competitive racetrack where we're trying to get ahead of the gang. It's, it could, when you were talking, I was thinking, I saw the, it's a Muhammad Ali poem stroke quote, and it's me, we. Uh-huh. Pre PC, where we're a lot of me. Yeah. And we've all dropped into we have or we have the capacity. We haven't all dropped in. We have the capacity to be we. We are all going through this. Yes. We are all as humans affected by this in one shape or another. We are all in this together. And could this be an opportunity for us to take our heads out of the sand or take our heads out of wherever they've been and (laughs) and actually see the vulnerability in all of us and the whole human species and and being aware of that and being vigilant to that and so there's the vigilance and also we move into a space of action and with deep empathy I think I I hope you know there's a notion that there are only actually two emotions fear and love just fear and love and you're either moving towards people or you're moving away from them 
And um, I, I like that. I like it. I think um, we need to recognize that when we are in analytical vigilant mode and distrust mode and suspicion mode, which fear usually drives, it's really hard to love people. And so therefore, I think part of the new world that we're going to inhabit is how do we maintain a connection which is respectful and warm and has high communication in it and um, has people really joined up <clears throat> whilst allowing fear to be present at the table, that's going to become a paradox. That's going to become a complexity that as we work with community more, we're going to have to learn how to talk about it. I'm going to have to learn how to practice it. And even asking ourselves the question, what would love do? Mm -hmm. You know, if we, if we, if that was our lens on reality, because there's some things that I see and I'm like, hmm, it's just like, but I stop and I pause and I say, what would love to? And I feel myself dropping into my body, even at that point and coming out of my head and, and recognizing that that's a, there's a different way to respond. I feel again, that we've just been shocked into noticing there's a different way to respond and to shift and have the ability and to take the choice it is you know my fear comes from forgetting the brilliance of this and the humanity that we've seen um, and I think really thinking about how we can start putting it into practice just now and 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 being very practical exceedingly practical about we need a little bit of sameness just now. So if you, you made your packed lunch at night, make your packed lunch at night. Mm -hmm. If you have 20 minutes in the shower, still have, why you would have that long, you know, to have 20, or if you have five minutes because you were always rushing, still have the five minutes. Give sameness, give routine, give discipline, give that part of the brain comfort that you've got this and that there is a structure of, control and and just watch watch what you're eating watch when you're eating you know i don't know about you but i've realized that so i touch my face a lot and i open the fridge a lot when i work from home so you know <laughs> exactly um yeah i i think there are a lot of things people can do right now that would help them with this fear i definitely see that i think definitely keeping some practices in place watching what you're eating because there's certain foods that make you feel anxious you eat a load of sugar before bedtime or caffeine it's like you're up um but i find also fear subsides when i take some action to discharge it so i take back a little control i do one or two next steps maybe i make a plan um or i speak to someone who i know will bring some rationality to my situation when i first realized my diary was empty and this wasn't working I phoned a friend in America and I told them exactly, I just need some rationality and some comfort. That's all I'm after. And I think learning how to instruct people how to help you, learning how to share, not just some power hose of, I'm struggling. Actually, yeah, take, take two minutes to think, what would I like from this conversation? Is the person in a state where they're able to help me? And if they are, get specific about what would help you in the conversation. I think any of those things that move control allow the fear to discharge in a way that's healthy and moves us on. A young warrior was told by her teacher that tomorrow she would have to face her greatest opponent, fear. She was very scared, but that evening she made her mental preparations and laid out her armory as she'd been trained. 
At noon the following day, she found herself across the ceremonial battle square from fear itself. It looked monstrous, and it was all she could do to muster the courage to meet it in the centre of the arena. Fear was huge, horrific, and its rasping breath shook the little warrior to the core. She wanted to run, but she'd learned discipline and was self-possessed enough to put her training into practice. She bowed respectfully before her opponent. Fear was impressed and thanked her. I appreciate your respect, it said. Do you have any questions for me? I have one question, she replied. How do I defeat you? Fear stared at her for a moment, then sighed. Good question. I will tell you. The truth is, I only have two weapons. I speak very quickly and I shout in your face. That's it. If you resist doing what I tell you to do, you win. That day, the young warrior stood her ground and refused to do what fear told her to do. She won. Pima Shodri.